Hello everyone, I'm Christopher Tan and welcome to Providence Money Wisdom, an original podcast inspired by my book Money Wisdom, Simple Truths for Financial Wellness. In this podcast, I'll be sharing simple financial truths to guide you in navigating through the minefields of misinformation and false promises in order to achieve financial security and peace of mind. Understanding CPF Introduced in 1953 before coming into effect on 1st July 1955, the Central Provident Fund or CPF is an important component of Singapore's social security structure. Despite its well-established history, CPF is not well understood by many Singaporeans. To some, it is just one of the many ways the government uses to hoard the people's assets. Prior to my writing on CPF for the Business Times in June of 2014, there had been two weeks of vigorous online postings and discussions displaying a significant degree of mistrust. To understand CPF, first recognize CPF's primary purpose, and that is to adequately meet your basic retirement needs. It is on this premise that the CPF scheme was first built. It is also from this perspective that we examine its role and functions. Remember this key principle governing CPF, and that is all users of CPF monies besides savings are meant to support this one purpose, which is basic retirement. Thus, guidelines and rules are set so that if you use your CPF monies for housing, children's education, insurance, paying medical expenses and investments, they must either help you in your retirement or at least not affect your retirement. One illustration would be the use of CPF monies for children's education. You see, if you use your CPF ordinary account monies to fund your children's local university or polytechnic education, your children are obliged to pay back one year after they leave the course. The money used plus interest not earned by you in your ordinary account, you have, or rather the children would have to pay back into your ordinary account. Now, another example pertains to topping up one's parent's CPF account. If you want to top up your parent's CPF account using your own CPF monies, you can only do so if you have already met your own basic retirement sum and own a home. The above two examples show CPF's primary focus, and that is it is first and foremost meant for your own retirement, not your children's education or someone else's retirement. In the same vein, if you sell your property that has been funded or bought by CPF, you need to put back the amount you have used plus the accrued interest not earned back into your OA, that is the interest that would otherwise have been earned if you had kept it in the OA. Often, Singaporeans mistake this as paying interest for the money that belongs to you. No, it is not. It is just to ensure that your retirement money is there when you need it. When the CPF board was established more than 60 years ago, Singapore was still under the British rule and undeveloped. Life was generally hard for the man in the street. The government at that time feared that the residents might not have the knowledge and ability to save for their retirement. 
CPF thus became a form of forced savings for them. When Singapore separated from Malaysia and gained independence as a state in 1965, she struggled to survive. She had to face a host of urgent needs as a young country, such as jobs and basic housing. To meet those needs, the government implemented wide-ranging schemes, such as public housing in 1968, MediSafe in 1984, the minimum sum in 1987, MediShield in 1990, CPF investment in 1997, and CPF life in 2009, while keeping the primary purpose of CPF in mind. Incidentally, at the point of writing the article for my book, the CPF investment scheme, or CPFIS in short, was to be revealed. This was made known in a statement by Deputy Prime Minister then, Thaman Shamugaratnam, on 13 September 2016. He said, CPFIS is not fit for purpose and will be reviewed. The scheme, which was set up to offer CPF members a way to earn higher returns on their savings, has not delivered. Let me now talk about minimum sum scheme in 1987. Now, each year at the end of the Lunar New Year season, my kids will always excitedly count how much money they have collected in their ang pao's, which is the dialect Hokkien for red packets. And they will plan for the things that they want to buy. This is where my wife will step in, take a position of, well, or rather take a portion of the money and force save it on the kids' behalf in their bank accounts. The kids are left with some money to spend, usually on unnecessary things. Are my kids happy? Never. But we know that they will grow up seeing a pretty decent sum in their account and knowing that their parents always have their welfare in mind. The minimum sum scheme, or MSS, works on this same principle. At age 55, before one can take all of their CPF monies, and well, we have heard stories of how people use it up very quickly on unnecessary things. So the CPA board will first take a portion of it known as the minimum sum and deposit it into their retirement account or RA. At age 62, which was the previous drawdown age, the retirees got a monthly annuity till about age 82. However, with Singaporeans now living longer, even before or rather even beyond 85 years old, the old minimum sum scheme has become dated. CPF Life was thus launched in 2009 to bridge this gap. So let me quickly talk about CPF Life, which was launched in 2009. The objective of CPF Life is simple, to give retirees a lifelong income stream till their demise. CPF Board made two fundamental changes to the old minimum sum scheme. Firstly, take a portion of monies in the RA and pull it with other members to form an insurance annuity fund. And secondly, extend the drawdown age or now called payout eligibility age to age 65. As a result, based on the full retirement sum of $192,000 today in 2022, a couple contributing this amount to their own retirement account would have more than slightly more than $3,000 per month as a couple. 
till their demise. If they pass away early, the unused portion of their monies will be bequeathed to their beneficiaries. Now, the hotter debate was in 2014. So allow me to share with you a parable. Two men, Peter and John, came together to strike an agreement with one another. Peter will lend John $100,000 with the understanding that John will pay Peter a guaranteed 4% per annum with no risk of losing the capital. The deal was done and John took the $100,000 he borrowed from Peter and invested it. At the end of the year, John made 7% from his own investments and as agreed paid Peter 4%. Peter became angry with John and insisted that John pay him more. Since the latter has made more money with the money that, well, Peter has lent him. Although that was not the original agreement, John was prepared to change the agreement but told Peter that in the same way, if he loses money in his investments in the future, Peter must be prepared to get less than 4% or even suffer capital loss. Peter was fuming mad. He scolded John for being untrustworthy as getting a guaranteed 4% per annum with full capital protection was what they had agreed on. But now, you would have realized that I'm referring to the interest rate that we are getting from our CPF accounts. Our CPF is invested into special issues of the Singapore government securities. In short, SSGS. The Singapore government securities they are otherwise known as the Singapore government bond, but they are very safe as they are rated AAA and these bonds are issued specifically to the CPF board to meet its interests and other obligations. They do not have quoted market values and the CPF board cannot trade them in a the market. The CPF board currently guarantees that we will get minimum return of 2.5% per annum for ordinary account and 4% per annum for special account, MediSafe account, and retirement account. Now, OA interest is lower because OA is in essence no different from a special purpose demand deposit where savings can be withdrawn on demand, particularly uh, for housing or primarily for housing. By investing in special SGS or SSGS, we are effectively lending our monies to the Singapore government for a guaranteed 2.5 to 4% per annum with very low risk. If the monies are subsequently invested by the government and reaped higher returns, I personally do not think it's fair for us to demand a higher return for our CPF monies because we cannot ask for a higher return without taking on higher risk. But what if an individual wants to take higher risks and get higher than CPF returns? This is where the CPF investment scheme comes in. CPFIS allows him to invest his CPF on his own. Why doesn't CPF board invest it on our behalf? Because the primary purpose of CPF is to help us meet our basic retirement and the investment objective should be one of capital preservation rather than growth. It is regrettable to read online debates where numerous numbers and statistics are insidiously churned to discredit the CPF and its custodian. Can we trust those numbers? Are they substantiated? 
let us not be lost in numbers and statistics and forget the true purpose of the CPF. While no pension system in the world, including the CPF, is perfect, I hope readers recognize its fundamental good and intention. All debates should be made in contexts such as reasonable returns vis-a-vis risk, adequacy in retirement, and overall security in retirement. I believe the government will continue to refine the CPF to reflect and meet the needs of Singapore's fast-aging society. As a country, let us place a certain level of trust in the CPF while providing constructive feedback or suggestions to improve the system. Thank you for tuning in to Providence Money Wisdom. I will be back soon with the next episode. For more information on my book or Providence services, kindly visit Providence.com. I'll see you the next time. All analysis, views or opinions from interviews, recommendations and other information broadcasted, podcasted or published herein are provided for general information purposes only. Information expressed does not take into account any specific situation, particular needs or objectives and should not be construed as specific advice or a recommendation. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal or tax professional before taking any action. Provident Limited does not accept any liability for any loss whatsoever arising from any use of the information broadcasted, podcasted or published herein. All contents and information contained herein may not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part by any means without prior written consent of Provident Limited.